about that midnight cry. You know, it, it seems obvious by everything that's going on in the world that the time could be soon. I forgot to tell you that Joseph got up not feeling well this morning, so uh, he and Amy uh, are at home this morning, so that's, that's where they're at. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's been a good week. Uh, thank you for praying for me. I feel like a, a blessed man. Uh, I got to share the gospel several times uh, this week. Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered them, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. May God bless the, the reading of his word and now the preaching of his word to our understanding and our application. Amen. Well, just when you thought we had probably got away from... Uh, what you've been hearing about staying awake and being watchful and being ready for the last time, we come to chapter 25. And in chapter 25, in verse 13, it says the same thing that it says in verse 42 of chapter 24. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. But I did pick up on something this week as I studied, which I thought was an excellent point. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're one. Uh, Jesus, we've been studying about him on Wednesday night, says, I'm the great I am. Uh, so when, when we say that uh, the only one that knows is the Father, uh, I think we can say that with all authority when Jesus was here on the earth. He was here as a man. He was here in the flesh. And probably here he, when he was in the flesh, he probably didn't know when he was coming again. But there's no biblical evidence that now, when he's at the right hand of the Father, he doesn't know when it's going to happen. But Jesus Christ is ready. He's ready to come when the Father tells him to come and get his people. So nothing in significance has changed from chapter 24 to chapter 25. Nothing's really changed. It's all about being ready, being watchful, uh, being prepared. But we have taken on just a different twist here. We have, we have taken on the twist of looking at people who appear to be believers, who appear to be followers. And so he's talking to those kind of people now. They profess, they look like, they seem to be a part of those who ought to be ready when he comes back. 
So we've, we're looking at a different kind of group of people. So now we have gone from chapter 24 to chapter 25, and Jesus is using a parable. He's using parables to teach. Now, if you were in Wednesday night Bible study, we've been studying about parables in there. Last Wednesday night, the whole class was about parables and why we have parables. So here's what a parable is. It is a biblical account or narrative drawn from human nature or from nature itself and human circumstances in which spiritual lessons can be made by comparison. So it's something that happens in the world, it happens naturally, and we take that and make spiritual comparisons by it. Maybe this would help. It's an it's a earthly example with a biblical meaning, a biblical teaching. And we're looking at today, right? We're looking at a wedding feast that was common in society. And at that wedding feast, what went on? And we're talking about lamps and oils in this particular case. We're talking about wise virgins and and foolish virgins or virgins that wasn't ready. So I told the Wednesday night group that according, depending on which ones you classify uh, a parable or something else, there's between 35 and 45 parables just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's a bunch of them, 35 to 45. Jesus liked to use parables. And we found out on Wednesday night, he uses them for a reason. And I'll just leave you with that. And that way you might be interested in coming on Wednesday night. He uses it for two two purposes. He uses it to reveal to those that he wants it to be revealed to, For those who really want to know what it means, he reveals the meaning. And to those who have no interest and the ones that he doesn't want to reveal to, to, he conceals it from them. So you you have to study a little more if that's not enough. We don't have time to look at that again tonight. All of chapter 25 is a continual reference to the second coming of Christ. I want you to understand that out of 28 chapters in the the book of Matthew, two of them, the entirety is is concerned with Christ's return. Now, why is that a big deal? Because that's really the only thing, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for His return. We're waiting for one of two things, death, hallelujah, or the return of Christ. That's what we're waiting for. So in these parables, we have three distinct divisions. Listen to this. If he's going to return, we need to be watching and have a religion that is defined by having a new heart, a changed life, and a new spirit. We need to have a religion that's not just talk, that's not just profession. We need to have a religion that is defined by these things. I've got a new heart. I've got a new spirit. I've got a changed life. Matter of fact, I'm a new person. That's what should define a Christian. That's who we should be. In the second parable, he's going to argue for diligence and faithfulness when we get into the parable of the talents. And then the last part of chapter 25 is one of those majestic and amazingly beautiful texts 
in which we're going to talk in detail about the last day, the day of judgment. I'm talking about with some detail, the sheep and the goats. It's a beautiful uh, passage of Scripture. So you really thought, and maybe I did, overstate the staying awake and the being watchful and to be ready. You may have thought that. But Jesus just picks up in chapter 25 and just marches on with the same thing. So would, would it be fair to say that Jesus wants each one of us to be watching for his return? To be anticipating his return? I think that would be a fair statement. In chapter 25, we have the parable of ten virgins, the parable of talents, and the account of the sheep and the goats. Each parable has its own point, but taken together, Jesus is just intensifying and broadening his warnings. Up until today, it's been warnings to the general population. Y'all with me? Today, it is a warning to professed, church-going people that they too must be ready and they must examine themselves to make sure they are ready. That's the difference in chapter 24 and chapter 25. All of these parables are just emphasizing the importance, listen to this, of being spiritually prepared when Christ returns. On that day, you must be born again. On that day, you must be a follower of Jesus. To be alert, to be awake, to be watching. So instead of talking to people who are obviously lost, now you've got to get this. I'm talking about, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the visible, the local visible church. That's who he's talking to. He begins to, listen, address people who look like Christians, all right, and even think they're Christians. That's who he's talking to. What if I tell you, I told somebody this, matter of fact, I told somebody this yesterday. If, you're, if you are saved, I can't lose you. I can't snatch you out of the hands of God. I can't lose you. But if you're not saved, I want to make you aware of that by the Word and by the Spirit that you can make things right to be ready for Christ's return. So these people, let me read that statement again. Jesus begins to address people who look like Christians and even think they are. Yet, five of them were not ready when he came back. I, I want to tell you, from, a, from a, a view of the church, not just this church, the church in general, the, the visible local church, from what I see in society, most will not be ready for the midnight cry. Most will not be ready. So today, the, the main point of the parable is being prepared for the Lord's return. Y'all rouse yourself now. Don't be like those virgins 
They got drowsy and went to sleep. We, we, all, we all get sleepy and we all ought to go to sleep, right? We're supposed to do that at night, but we've got to keep ourselves roused to stay awake. Okay, listen to this now. So the main point is to be prepared for the Lord's return. The second, the second point this morning, listen to this. The secondary and for sure an important point is that when He returns and the door is shut, there's no second chance. Noah did not go back and open the door that God shut on the ark and nobody got the bridegroom to open the door after the banquet had started. So let's look a little closer at the scripture. So parables are similitudes brought from an earthly happening or action to illustrate a spiritual lesson, to illuminate spiritual mysteries and how they are to be practiced. So how do we study and use parables? This came right out of our Sunday school lesson. I think this is good. You, you have these points and you can keep them for references. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. So when you read a parable, you ought to try to quickly find out and figure out what the main point is. Secondly, we need to recognize the imagery that's being used today, lamps and oil and uh, talents or uh, things that the Lord gave us to use for Him would be in next, next, uh, the next parable we come to. So when we look at that, we also should, should look at any detail that's striking or unexpected because if, if He does something shockingly in His teaching, it's probably for a point. When you're doing parables, you don't have to press every detail for meaning. Because really, a, a lot of people in this parable, they get caught up in the oil and trying to figure out what the oil is, if the Holy Spirit, or what, they, what it might be. Well, the whole point of this parable is not about what the oil is. It's about His return, and it's not only about the, the, His return, but there's no second chance. So we don't need to get caught up with the details and meet the main, miss the main point. And so, uh, the other thing that we looked at, and this is just good teaching for reading your Bible. This is a good, t- good teaching for, for just Bible study in general. So, when you read a text, pay attention to the literary, the historical, and the grammatical context of it. Whatever it meant to those people then, y'all with me? That's what it means to us today. Because the circumstances has changed does not mean that the teaching has changed. So historical, grammatical, context, literary context. So those are just for your reference. So sometimes, aren't we glad, aren't you, have you ever read a parable and you're glad it says that now Jesus is going to explain the parable to us? Don't you like those? I like those. You know, you, you don't have any doubt. Okay, I'm, here's the, uh, Daniel said, here's the dream. Okay, here's the dream, and now I'm going to interpret for you. Okay, so Jesus says, here's the account. Now I'm going to tell you what it means. But he doesn't always do that. He doesn't always do that. That's not the rule. So let me just give you a couple more hints. It's always good to see what was going on in the text before the parable. And after the parable, okay? So before the parable, we were in chapter 24, right? And he said, be alert, stay ready, 
be awake, be on watch, all of that, right? So we get after the parable, after the parable of the talents, we're going to look at the Lord coming in judgment. So probably these two parables in between have something to do with the same thing. So that's how we know that. So we see. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. I had this discussion this week with somebody. For lots of people, not known and willful in heinous sin, that's not what gets most people. What gets most people is the distractions that take place trying to live in this world. In other words, we get our eyes not necessarily on sin, but off the important things. Let's look at Luke 21, 34 through 36. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. But here's, here's the next part. Now, I'm not saying those two, twos are not, those two things aren't important. But, but look at the next part. The cares of this life. You know what that means? You, you know. I'm looking at a guy who knows. There's just people who are just trying to get to the next day. They're just trying to survive. And when that's the case, you're trying to survive in this world, you're probably not making preparations for the next world. The cares of this world. And that day may come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon you, it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Nobody is going to escape the return of Christ. No one. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I think that goes with today's parable. None of us will be prepared. None of us will have everything we need if we don't continually pray to God that He'll supply it. Because we don't have it within ourselves other than Christ in us. This is not something... Our being prepared and our staying and and being ready is not something we're capable of on our own. This is the grace of God. We need to watch our actions carefully. We looked at it last week. We need to be careful doing what he's left us here to do. Are y'all with me? He left us here to get ready for the next life. He left us here 72 years or 90 years or whatever the case may be or 21 years. Wow, what a short time to get ready to get ready for eternity. And I'll just tell you, nobody's going to opt out of eternity. Eternity's one of two places, heaven or hell. No purgatory, no in-between. Taking care, now what, what did he leave us here to do? To take care of our souls, 
the souls of our loved ones in our home and in our church. You see, you see, that's the important thing. But what distracts us from doing that? The world. Getting up, going to work, raising kids, getting them to school, getting them to this event, whatever the case may be, and, and trying to, quote, have some recreational time. And the time is gone. We need to be working as people to find some spiritual food, and when we find it, to give it to somebody else. So today he tells us that we need lamps and oil. We need lamps and oils. That's why he now gives us the parable that's before us. So let me tell you just a little bit, and I, I, I so enjoyed reading this. I read it in several different accounts about uh, marriage rites, marriage ceremonies, marriage customs, uh, especially in Israel, but in the Near East, okay? This is what, we're not talking about a marriage in America. We're, we're not talking about where uh, a, a couple, a, a couple uh, is, they decide they're going to get married and so they have, they have a, a little bit of short engagement period, and they set a date, and they get married. And it's a big deal. But I'm telling you, compared to this marriage, marriages today aren't a big deal. And I think, I think there's something to be said for that. Somebody agree with me? Marriage ought to be a big deal. Did you hear me? Listen to me. If we don't get back to a man and a woman being married and then having kids and then staying married and raising those kids, there is no hope for this country. That is the fabric of society. That's the way God designed it, and it'll never work outside of that. I'm so thrilled when I hear about a man that has four or five kids and finally has made a commitment to be committed to that woman in the raising of those kids. That's a bunch of stuff that we need to happen. So the marriages were ordinarily at night. Y'all know what that means? I didn't officiate many of them. <laughs> they were at night. So the wedding consisted of three parts. First of all, there was the arrangement phase. And I'll just, I'll guarantee you this. If you go back to that period of time when marriages were arranged, they are exponentially more effective than the way we're doing it today. Y'all know what arranged marriages are? Mamas and daddies decide that they want their daughters and sons to be married together, and they arrange that, and they set that up. And from what I can see, you young people listening, you didn't have a whole lot of input. Now, you prove me wrong that that didn't work better than the way we're doing it today. History. There's something to be learned from history. Amen? 
All right, first phase, arrangement phase. Y'all are excited about that, right? I propose we go back to that. I propose we go back to what worked. Now, I haven't found that. Well, I might can find it in Scripture. I believe they sent somebody somewhere to get Isaac's wife. Sight unseen. I think we'd do better off to go back to the old days. I think we'd be better off to go back to Scripture. All right, arrangement phase. The second was the betrothal or engagement phrase. All right, now listen to this, young guys. It's a good one. You guys listening? Okay. This could be any, anywhere from a few months to a year or more. Now listen, guess what was happening during that year? <laughs> the man was getting his house ready and getting his job situation ready so that when this young woman was brought to him, he could provide for her. That was part of the engagement period. Okay. The groom was getting things ready. So how long did the engagement last? Until he got everything ready. And then his daddy and her daddy would say, okay, I think you can take care of my daughter. And let me tell you, I'll bet you being prepared spiritually to take care of their daughter had something to do with it. Everything, okay, in the engagement, are y'all ready for this? Everything was the same as they were married. It was legal. If they now divorced, it was an official divorce. But they weren't sexually involved and they didn't live together. Then we have a feast, a banquet, which could last for a week. This was a celebration. So here's, here's where we're at in today's lesson, okay? The feast, the banquet could last a week. Listen carefully. It began with the bridegroom and the party coming to the bride's house. That's how it started. So, the bridesmaids were at the bride's house. The groomsmen were at the, the uh, bridegroom's house. And when, when the bridegroom got ready, then they went to the bride's house. That's kind of how it began. Now, listen. When the bridegrooms left to go to the bride's house, they had torches They had lights. It was a big procession. Everybody in town knew there was a marriage happening. And then they went to the bride's house, and they took her and the bridesmaids with them, and they went throughout the city proclaiming what was taking place. A marriage ceremony was taking place. At the end of the feasting, The best man would take the hand of the bride, probably from the father, and place it in the hand of the groom, and they would be escorted to their place of abode and left alone for the first time to consummate the marriage. 
in the house that he had got prepared. I think that's pretty special. They usually had young men who attended the bridegroom and young virgins that attended the bride at her father's house. They were called children of the bride chamber or friends of the bridegroom or bride, Mark 2.19. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. John 3.29 says, The one who has the, the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Okay, so the wedding being in the night, there was needs of lamps. Okay? And uh, the word for lamp here is lampus. It's the same word that's used in John the 18th chapter to describe the torches that the guards and the, the executioners had at the death of Jesus. Torches, lamps. I, I, can't, I haven't seen a good picture, but uh, it, was a, it was a big ball of cloth. It was a big, big ball of whatever they used to make these torches. And that big ball of cloth or whatever would hold oil. And then they would light it and it would burn. So it's not like, uh, it's not like the little uh, lamps we have out on the front porch that we put that uh, citronella oil in and we light it and uh, it, it burns. It's not a little lamp like this. It was a big lamp. And uh, so the, uh, the, the, the word lampus is for this torch deal, which is used here. It's used in John chapter 18. Another place... There's a word, uh, uh, Lochness, L-O-U-K-N-O-S, Lochness. That's a lamp, and, and, but it's not the lamp here. It's a torch, a big deal. Why'd they need it? Because they were going throughout the city. There weren't street lights all over the city like they were here, and they wanted everybody to see what was going on. All right, y'all with me? So that's a, so a little, uh, they took some oil with them. They needed some oil. They didn't need just a little bit of oil. Okay, so the wedding was at night. There was need of lamps. When the bridegroom came, the bridesmaids who were attending the bride went forth to meet the bridegroom with lamps lighted to conduct him and his companions into the house and to her who was to be the bride. And when they entered there, at this time, the door was shut and the marriage proceeded. Now, Jesus tells us of such a marriage. That's what we're looking at. With ten virgins, the usual number at such weddings. But look at this interesting fact. At this particular wedding, there was half of them wise and half of them that were not wise. The wise had their lamps in good shape. That'd be a good word for us. Spiritually, are y'all ready? We need to have our lives in good shape when the Lord comes. We need to have, we would say, we need to have our spiritual business in order when the Lord comes. The wise had their lamps in good shape. They had plenty of oil for the lamp. They were wise. But the folly of the others is shown in their waiting, but not being prepared. 
Y'all, y'all with me? Those in the church that are not prepared but are waiting are like these foolish ones. And, and what's it mean to be pre- prepared? Not necessarily waiting, not necessarily being one of the ten, but being prepared, having the Lord Jesus Christ having been born again. They did not have enough oil. Their lamps were not trimmed. Now listen to this. We may can share with our we may can share with our families and with each other lots of good, right? <laughs> but when that day comes, what we have at that moment, we can right now we can share all that we've got spiritually with other people. We can share Christ with them. We can share the graces of, 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 of Christ and all the good things that go with it. We, you know, they've got to have Christ just like I do. What we have in common is Christ, but they have to also have Christ. I can't share my Christ with them. They have to have their own Christ that comes, the same Christ, but it comes with them repenting and believing. All right, now hang on to this. The others did not have enough to share. They just had enough. So the door was shut, and they were locked out. So what do we have going on here? I, I want to give you eight things quickly. The state of the church is compared to ten virgins. These virgins are members. Our members were all professors. Everyone in here that has joined the church have professed that they believe in Christ as the only Son of God and as their Savior. All of us have done that. Their lamps and their going forth to meet the bridegroom signify their joint profession of the gospel and of their expectation of meeting Christ who is portrayed as the bridegroom. So we have not only professed Christ, but we are people who are looking for the return of Christ. Psalm 45, 14 says, In many colored robes she has led to the king with her virgin companions falling behind her. Five of them were wise and five foolish. Number two, this speaks of the difference in professors. Professors, not pro... Yeah, not professors that teach in a school. Professors and professors. Some have lamps. Some make a profession. But some have no grace. No truth in them. No Christ in them. No changed life. No born again. Nothing in them. They have nothing in them that would have supplied their every need. And their every need is supplied by the grace of Christ who lives in us. Uh, I've I've looked at it. It's coming up in our our Sunday school lesson pretty quickly. I knew I would probably go there today, but but I didn't didn't, uh, fix it so you could have it. But just listen to me. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Listen, everything that I do good is because of Christ and the grace that he, he, he brings in my life. All the good I do. All right, that includes being, being, uh, getting prepared, and that includes staying prepared for when he comes. It's, it's Philippians 1.6. I believe that who started a good work in me will carry it to win. Completion. He will give me the grace to stay the course and to stay ready. 
The wise have the root of the matter in them. Listen, the root of the matter is Christ in me. Christ is the only answer. Born again. Christ in me, leading me to a true faith and love of God, which supplies their profession with all its needs. Christ supplies all my needs. He provi- God supri- supplied the sacrifice I needed. That sacrifice is Christ. And with Christ, everything comes that you and I need. But saved people have to avail themselves to the graces that will keep us ready. That's one way you know you're saved. Number three, the bridegroom's delaying signifies Christ's delaying to come in judgment. It's been 2,000 years, but he's surely more close today than he was 2,000 years ago. They're slumbering and their sleeping signifies the infirmities of the, of the best. Uh, spiritually, maybe spiritually we can stay awake all the time. I can't stay awake physically all the time. Okay? But, but even when I'm sleeping, even when I'm sleeping, who's watching over me? Christ in me. He's watching over me. He's providing for me. Yet while we're asleep, our minds and our hearts ought to wait in anticipation. Let me, let me tell you, I, I don't know. I, I, I surely didn't know this in uh, undergraduate school. <laughs> I never got close to this in undergraduate school. Uh, some of you that are quicker, smarter, uh, had more work, work ethic as far as studying than I did. You understand this somewhat. So when, when, you, when you have a, a subject that you're having to put some effort into, you know you're close to having it down when you, when you wake up at night and you can go through it in your head. You, you know you're about got it, right? Listen, when we wake up at night, we ought to be thinking spiritual things. We should be thinking about Christ's sudden return. We should be thinking about our loved ones that are not saved. Even in the night watches. Amen? But when we are asleep, maybe in deep sleep, Christ is watching out for us. Number four, the coming of the bridegroom at midnight speaks of Christ coming in a dark time of troubles and afflictions. Listen. It's a dark time in the world. It is surely a time in the world when right is proclaimed wrong and wrong and perversion is claimed right. It's a dark time. It surely, somebody say amen, it would surely be a good time for Christ to come. But for most, listen, I promise you, only the born again. Y'all hear me? Only those with Christ in them. Only those are looking for the return of Christ. I I don't know. 90% of the world, 
it's, it's, not, it's not in their vocabulary. It's not even in their thought process. Do you hear me? So what's that tell you about how many is going to be taken and how many is going to be left? But today, he's not talking about the world. He's talking about in the church. Number five, the virgins trimming their lamps upon their midnight cry speaks of those living in the expectation of the Lord's sudden and imminent return. When they woke up, they had heard the cry. What did they go about doing? Getting those lamps ready. Being ready. Always looking for an opportunity to be ready. Look, we as believers in Christ ought to always be looking for an opportunity to grow in the Lord, to grow in His graces, to have something taught to us that will be of spiritual help for us. Always looking for an opportunity. The foolish virgins awake, but they're not prepared. Number six, this reveals the hypocrites and professors only who have no root, which means they're not born again. I guess if, if, if I had to tell you one way to know that you're born again, your life is radically different than it was before. You, knew, you know who I spend a lot of time with. And they all know this question. Whose direction were you going and who were you living for before you came in this place? They all know the answer. Their selves going their own direction. A saved man, a saved woman will be exactly opposite of that. They'll be going in God's direction and they'll be living for God instead of themselves. That's the way you know you're saved. Listen to me. Men in particular, all of us in general, if everything has to be all about you, you're not saved. It's all about others. It's all about your wife and kids. It's all about your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all about God's glory. That is a change. If you have no concerns about the things of God, you're not saved. Number seven, they're thinking they could get oil from someone else shows us that individually we're responsible. Y'all know what that means? I won't, I won't be able to say, Jeannie, help me. She won't be able to say, Bruce, help me. Our helping each other ends with this life. Not when he comes. We're responsible for knowing the Lord. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life that you may know the only true God in Jesus Christ he has sent. Listen to me. Oh, everybody knows the Lord. Everybody believes in God. Oh, most people believe something about his son. This word is no, K-N-O-W. Intimately, you know him and he knows you. You know what? I don't know Jeannie except intimately because we spent 52 years together. 
I'm to know the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ personally, intimately. He knows my voice. And I know His. For availing ourselves to the graces, assembling as brothers and sisters for fellowship, for prayer, for preaching of God's Word on Wednesday night for Bible study, reading of the Scripture, praying individually, reading of the Scripture and praying as a family are all things that we can do to help us know God better. And those are the graces that God has given us to avail ourselves to us to help us be ready. Now listen, this, uh, <clears throat> they're thinking they could get oil from somebody else. It speaks of the false hope that somebody, y'all with me now? I'm talking about this is the way some people live their lives. Y'all ready for this? There are some people that grow up in this life having been and thinking that when they get in trouble spiritually, there'll be somebody to bail them out. Your mama, your daddy, your wife, your preacher, when Christ comes, will not be able to bail you out. Our putting hope in what somebody else has done won't do us any good. Number eight, they're going to buy oil and they're being shut out before they returned and knocking in vain and, and in vain crying, Lord, open to us, reveals to us that we got to be ready when He comes. I'm telling you, when, when you hear the trumpet and you see Him on the cloud, too late. When you hear the trumpet and see Him on the clouds, too late. Whatever state we die in or He comes in is the state that we'll spend, are y'all ready for this? Eternity in. So let us heed the counsel of Isaiah and Solomon. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, and we'll come back to this right at the end. But listen, what I'm talking about is not a financial deal. It doesn't cost you any money. It's more, it's more valuable than any money you could ever have. But what I'm talking about doesn't cost you anything monetarily. Listen to Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without food or without a price, and without a price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread, and your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight in yourselves in rich food. We're talking about spiritual things. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Solomon said, Whatever your hand finds to do, look, when it comes to the things of the Lord... When it comes to being prepared for the return of Christ, listen, talk about football teams or basketball teams, leave everything on the field, leave everything on the court. Listen, when it comes to doing things of the Lord, spend everything you got. 
put all your end into knowing Christ and being ready for His return. Whatever you find, your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there's no work or thought of knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. We are not to be slothful in anything we do, are y'all ready? Which pertains to the Lord. Be lazy in your recreation. Might possibly be lazy at your job and get by with it. But don't be lazy when it comes to the things of the Lord. We're talking about eternity. Amazing grace. When we've been there how many years? We've only what? We just got started. An eternity. We don't need to be slothful in seeking Him and serving Him. Private devotions, family worship, corporate worship, corporate prayer, corporate Bible study, worship and preaching of the Word. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable. Listen to this. Always abounding in the what? Listen, if you're going to have time for anything, it ought to be for the Lord. And I just tell you, if you have no time for the Lord, no time for His people, no time for His church, no time for His Word, no time for prayer, you're not ready. And you will hear those words. I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I mean, it's clear. It's scary. It's clear. We must have lamps and oil to feed our lamps. You know what that means? We got to have Christ and His graces to have a light and to have a lamp, to have oil. We got to know the bridegroom. We got to know the bridegroom. And that bridegroom, Christ, will come one of two ways. He's either going to come in, de- in our death or He's going to come when He comes on the cloud. He's coming. There's not a box to check. Don't come for me. He's coming. But we do know what time He... But we do not know what time He will come. And when He appears, there's no time for preparation. No oil after the coming of the Lord, our death will be bought. We... We can't find anything we need after He returns. No further preparation can be made when you die or He returns. At death, our place of eternity will be sealed. At the Lord's coming, our place of eternity will be sealed. Are y'all ready? At the midnight cry, it's too late. Second Corinthians 13.5, this is why Richard Baxter, 1651, this is why Richard Baxter found this scripture so important. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now let me ask you, what, what's this guy got? What's, what's Paul talking about? Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? 
that Christ Jesus is in you. Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Christ must be in each one of us. If Christ is in us, we're a new creation. We have been justified. We are in the process, did you hear me? We're in the process of being sanctified, made like Him. Listen to me carefully now. And, and I, wish, I wish I could, uh, yeah. Maybe for the most part, you're not the ones that need to hear this. But it's pretty obvious you need to hear this or you wouldn't be here today, right? Okay. Many only come around when it's convenient. Uh, somebody told me this week. Uh, it's not going to come back to me who. That when they don't have anything else to do, they go to church. They may look the part. You know, I may look like a preacher when I got up here this morning. Looks are deceiving, amen? But they may not know God, really God, nor His Son. I said no. K-N-O-W. Intimately, not just a knowledge of, no. If they have, if they do, it will have ceased to be all about them and their time and their schedule, and it will become all about their wives, their kids, their church, the great I am, and his son. I can tell you, a Christian man doesn't have much time for self. Maybe when you lay down at night, you've done all you can do that day. You've worked 8, 10, 12 hours. You've come home and done everything you can help you do to help your wife. You've had family devotion. Maybe, maybe when you lay your head down, just, I want y'all, I want y'all to check this out this week. One time this week, one time. I literally stopped and took a deep breath. That is the kind of rat race world that we're in. I mean, literally, when, when you realize that you have been sitting and all of a sudden you go, and realize you don't remember the last time you did that. You know what that probably means? We're way too busy. But I was going, you guys, here, here's when you can feel good about it. You lay down in your bed at night, and if there's a moment before you crash, okay, you know that that day you've tried to live for God's glory, You've tried to tell others about God's glory. You've taken care of your wife and your kids spiritually. You've worked a hard day at work. As far as you know, you did everything you could that day for God's glory and for the well-being of your family. Then you can take a deep breath. 
and relax just a second. You know, there's going to be a day that we, we have that rest, right? But not much of it here. There's too much work to be done. People who are still thinking, I'll get ready when he comes. Y'all just tell me. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. It doesn't cost you anything because it costs the Father and the Son. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the Son in which you were well pleased? that you gave him as a sacrifice for somebody else's sins? And what did the son give? Oh, for for one thing, he, he gave away any... What's the right word? Any, uh... I mean, this is a guy that was humiliated to the fullest. Any, any, any kind of, uh... Esteem or respect. He was absolutely devoid of it in the way he was treated, especially after he was arrested until he died on the cross. It cost God the Father his son. It cost Jesus Christ his life. Doesn't cost you anything. Doesn't cost me anything. Look at Luke 13, 25 through 28. When once the master of the house is risen and shut the door, and you began to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We taught in your streets. Man, teachers. But he will say to them, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, that you yourselves will be kicked out, cast out. Church, I'm begging you this morning, know him. Know his son. Know and love his church. He is coming. He will appear at the midnight cry. Death may be today. Is there any conviction of sin that has led you to repentance? Is there any desire within you for holiness and the life of Christ? Oh, I beg you that you would desire that and you would tell God the Father and the Son that you desire that kind of life. If none of that is at work in your life, we're not ready. If that's not going on, you're not ready. So, I'm asking you today, won't you come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on the cross? Repentance. Stop going your way. Begin to go His way. Your sins, my sins killed Him. We're doing our best to put to death those sins. And turn to Christ for your forgiveness, for your salvation. Turn to Christ and put your faith in what He has done, in His death, in His blood that has been shed. It won't cost you any money. 
But it is the thing of greatest value. It's just like you'd spent all you could spend to get it. You would if you knew what it was worth. It is of great value. You know what you'll get? If we're ready when He comes, we'll get a life with God in a new heaven and new earth for an eternity. No more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. So let me ask you, wise and foolish. So today, if he came, would you be found to be wise or foolish in your being prepared for his return? May God bless the preaching of his word.